0: Well, good morning, CVC. Man, we are able to regather back in the building. It's so good to see you guys. Man, some, it's so, all those amazing, beautiful eyes right above the mass That's great. Um, and all of you watching online, we know there's a bunch of you still watching online right now. So glad that you're here with us as well. It's good to be together. Hey, uh, before getting into our teaching time today I just want to celebrate a ministry win with you because honestly during the season sometimes it just feels like stuff's getting taken away and we're playing defense all the time and it's just good to know that uh, we're still seeing great things happen as we're trying to minister to our community and so for months we've seen people deliver you know masks and uh, food and supplies and uh, just loving and blessing others but one specific recent ministry win I want to bring to your attention in case you didn't know was our last blood drive on June 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 30th. Now, we have done uh, blood drives for the last 16 years. We've had 18 blood drives in the last 16 years. And uh, what we saw take place on June 30th was this, 332 units of blood were drawn, which will help about 996 patients that need blood. And that's our second highest in the history of our blood drive. So during this rough season, like you guys really showed up. And so we're so excited about that. And on top of that, 92 people that gave blood were first-timers. That's the highest record of first-time givers we have seen at the blood drive. And so we're we're taking some ground. We're we're doing great things in the name of the Lord while this is taking place. Uh, Gretchen, our Red Cross representative, said this. She said, during the ongoing pandemic and being in the middle of an urgent need for blood, your drive was crucial in helping us restock our shelves and meet the needs of patients in 56 local hospitals. So what a great example of just doing good in our community for the name of the Lord. And so thank you if you helped make the blood drive a reality through serving, through praying, through giving blood, and uh, definitely through your financial gifts here at CVC. Because of your faithful generosity here at CVC, we can continue to do these types of uh, good deeds in our community. And as far as giving, just a reminder that even though we have collection boxes on the walls, even though people still send it in through mail, the majority of our giving is received through digital or online format. And so uh, sometime during today, we encourage you to have that giving moment where you go online to our website at cvconline.org or to our app or text give, and you can uh, give uh, a gift to help keep the ministry strong and making a difference in our community during this time. So with that, let's just have a moment to thank God for what he's done and then pray for our teaching time as well. Would you pray with me? Well, Father, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for the faithfulness of your people. You just keep showing up, and you have so many of your children just showing up in this community during a time of great need. So we thank you for those who served and gave blood and gave financially at CVC to make that blood drive a reality. Lord, we thank you for the many others who have been delivering meals and goods and making masks and serving their neighbors and praying with people in their community and who have shared the love of Christ with their friends in recent months. God, we pray pray that you continue to allow us to do good deeds in the name of Jesus, to promote goodwill with our community so that we can share the good news of Jesus with others. And Father, right now, uh, we would humbly ask that you would guide our ears and our minds and our hearts as we open your supernatural and perfect word. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, hey, as we start our teaching time, I, I want to really start by pointing out reminding us of two of the highest priorities that we as Christians have or should have in our lives while we live on earth while we're here, uh, we 're here, we love our families, uh, we try to make a difference while we 're here uh, we try to uh, enjoy and protect the freedoms and blessings that we have that that 's all great, but the two highest priorities that we have as followers of Christ is to first glorify God that our our affections, our attitudes, our actions would be pleasing to God and that as people observe our lives they would see how great God is and how merciful God is and, and really get a, a good sense about God and His glory. And so the first priority we have is to glorify God. The second is to share Christ. Uh, God has, has uh, man just blown us away with His love and His mercy in our lives and for those of us who know Jesus, uh, we're daily um, reminded just how unbelievable God's love is for us and he gave us a commission it wasn't a suggestion it wasn't an idea he commanded us to go and make disciples to go and tell other people who are far from god about god's fierce amazing love for them about the death of jesus christ on the cross for the sins of mankind so that we can have forgiveness of sins and have a restored relationship with god and so we're called to glorify god and to share christ but here's the problem Uh, for centuries now there's been a dominant and consistent problem that has hindered people from coming to christ and it's probably hindered you at some point in your life maybe even now it's probably hindering some of your friends your family members the people you're praying for from coming to christ it's a big dominant consistent problem and it's not a theological question It's not typically a theological issue or a lack of faith or a lack of belief. It's something far more harmful. It's hypocrisy. Welcome back to church. We're going to really keep it light today, right? Okay. It's it's hypocrisy hypocrisy, uh, when, when, when they do the polls, the interviews, the studies, some of you have probably experienced this in your conversations with, with your friends who are far from God or don't know Christ, that uh, oftentimes the, the most dominant answer why they aren't interested in Christianity, why they're not interested in going to church, and why they're not interested in reading the Bible, is because they've seen uh, people who talk about loving God act and speak one way, but then see another action and another attitude come out another way and that hypocrisy repels them and so it's become a problem in life and so hypocrisy hinders people from coming to christ now as i talk about hypocrisy i want to be uh, really clear about what we're talking about when we speak of hypocrisy hypocrisy is not trying to do the right thing or to avoid the wrong thing and then failing it's failing by acting like you're not Right? We're all going to fail. We're all going to sin. We're all going to mess up. And so it's, it's not our failures that are, that are hypocritical. It's that we act like we're not failing and we don't need God's grace. Also, hypocrisy is when we're more preoccupied with the external image, like, like the image we're portraying to others, rather than our internal condition, like what's really going on. It's, it's when the inside and the outside don't match, and we're not trying to reconcile the difference that's hypocrisy hypocrisy is not struggling with sin All of us are going to struggle with sin. Every day we wake up, all day. Hypocrisy is um, not struggling with sin. It's basically um, being authentic about our struggle with sin. We're not being hypocritical when we're just being authentic about what we're struggling with, and we share that, and we share our need for God to help us with that. So when it comes to hypocrisy, uh, I believe one, if not two or three of all these statements are probably true for all of us in this room and watching online. One is this. You have probably been hurt by the hypocrisy of someone else. Someone else has probably injured you, um, you know, damaged your heart somehow uh, through their hypocrisy. The second is you have probably hurt someone else with your hypocrisy. And the third is you've probably hurt yourself and your relationship with God with your own hypocrisy. In fact, uh, just take a few seconds, and I would like for you to think about those three statements, and right now think which one is probably most true for your life. Would you say it's most true that you've been damaged by the hypocrisy of others, and that's hindered your relationship with Christ? Would you say that, you know what, I've probably actually damaged other people, I've probably hurt others with my hypocrisy? Or would you say, you know, my hypocrisy has actually damaged myself and my relationship with God? And so think about that for a few seconds, and I'm going to come back to that a little bit later and ask you to interact with that. And to no surprise to us, God has an issue with our hypocrisy. And as we continue in this summer series called No Filter, where we're looking at the teachings of Jesus uh, that we find in the book of Luke, Uh, we are going to engage the teachings of Jesus, these letters in red, in the book of Luke. This is one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, that record the life and teachings of Jesus. We're going to look at them with no filter. We're we're not going to put a personal preference filter or some sort of filter over it that's going to make us dismiss or dilute or redefine what Jesus said. And today in our text, in our passage, we're going to see him go after this issue of hypocrisy. And it's not the first time he's done it, and it's not going to be the last. But join me right now in your Bibles, open up your Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 11. And we're going to start with verse 37 today, and uh, if you don't have a Bible, maybe you have a Bible app on your phone, and if you don't have either one of those within reach of you right now, uh, these passages will be on the screen. I highly encourage you, though, to have a Bible app or your own Bible so you can follow along. And what I'm about to do is just read a little bit, teach a little bit, read a little bit, teach a little bit, and work our way through a deeper understanding of hypocrisy, and we're coming to God together right now. Me, you, all of us, we're coming together right now saying, God, would you help me? Help weed out hypocrisy from our life because we don't want to hinder people from experiencing how good you are in christ and so find ourselves in luke chapter 11 starting with verse 37 and 38 and we'll pause there and continue on here's what we find while jesus was speaking so he's teaching he's speaking to a group of people a pharisee asked him to dine with him So, he went in and reclined at the table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. We're just going to pause there. So, here's Jesus. He's doing what he normally does. He's out there teaching the truths of God. And a Pharisee, this uh, religious leader the Jewish community, invites Jesus over for a meal. And, and we really believe that he's not inviting Jesus over because he wants to hang out with Jesus and really admires him. He, he's looking for a way to entrap him. To get him to say or do something that's going to give them reason to accuse him of not being from God. And, and to justify the mistreatment of Jesus. And, and Jesus delivers. And, and so Jesus is invited over. He comes into the home and he just reclines at the table. Uh, not, not tables and chairs like we're accustomed to. They kind of have pillows around a low table. And he just got down really low and kind of reclined close to the table. And the Pharisees offended because he didn't wash his hands. Now, this is not a whole like your mama going, you didn't wash your hands before dinner. You know, this is not what this is about. Uh, This is a a Jewish hand-washing ceremony. And so every morning typically faithful jews will get up and they will wash their hands in the morning and then uh, every time before they eat they will wash their hands and say a blessing so this hand washing is actually not about hygiene it's about holiness it's about purifying yourself before you participate in the meal and what i have here and what you're seeing on the screen is a traditional and a modern current jewish hand washing cup what do you notice about this cup that's a little different than maybe your cups Two handles, right? Okay? Some of you are thinking, oh, they were thinking of the lefties and the righties at the same time. No, that's, that's not the point of the two handles. And they've been finding these cups for centuries when they excavate in Israel. You'll see old pictures. But basically, the purpose of washing your hands was to remove the defilement spiritually, right? To purify yourself before the meal and then say a blessing and take it. Well, it was very important that if you were washing your hands, that if one hand was clean... It didn't accidentally touch um, the other hand, because if the other hand's dirty, then the dirty hand defiled the clean hand. So you had to make sure the two hands didn't touch when you were washing your hands. You see how meticulous they are about rules, right? Okay? And so what they came up with to make life easier was the two-handed cup. And so even now in Jewish communities, if you go to Israel, you'll, you'll see the two-handed cup, and now you know what it is. And what they typically do is they'll, they'll take, you know, the, the dirty hand will grab a handle, and they'll fill it up with water or dip it in water, and then they rinse the other hand two or three times. And then to make sure that the hands don't accidentally touch, they'll they'll grab the other handle, right, to make life easy, and then they'll fill it back up with water and then rinse the other hand. And sometimes what they'll do is they'll even use a towel or they'll be very meticulous not to touch the outside. And so this Pharisee is like, you didn't even go through the proper outside, you know, uh, ritual to prepare for the meal. And what Jesus is about to do is he's going to flip the criticism to expose their hypocrisy. Hypocrisy, the, the hypocrisy in their life and heart, and he's going to make a lesson of it. And that's what we see next. Look at verse 39 with me. And the Lord said to him, Now, you Pharisees, because there's a bunch there, and they're all thinking the same thing, you cleanse the outside of the cup of, and the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give us alms those things that are within. And behold, everything is clean for you. And so what Jesus is going after right now is their obsession with making sure that the outside looks really good and is clean, but they're neglecting what's going on on the inside. Look, if if you come over to my home to visit for a little bit, and I offer you a drink of water, and you see me reach over and grab a dirty cup off the counter, one that you look really carefully at and go, I think that's dried milk from like five days ago sitting inside that cup. And I'd take, you know, I'd wash the outside, man, clean it really good. But I don't clean the inside. Are you going to drink out of that cup? You have no interest in drinking out of that cup. And that's what Jesus is getting across. He's saying, you are so consumed, with making sure the outside is clean and looks good, but you're neglecting what's on the inside. And I see what's on the inside. And God, who made your outside and your inside, isn't fooled by how clean you look on the outside, because he sees what's on the inside. And what I see when I'm on the inside, Jesus says, is green and wickedness. There's corruption. There's filth. And so it's hypocritical to criticize me for not washing the outside of the cup when I'm looking at you going, I know very well what's on the inside of your cup. And this is what's happening in this moment. Now, for us... Hypocrisy is very similar. It's when the outside and the inside don't match, and we're not reconciling the difference. We may look like we have it all together on the outside, but a lot of us know that we might be a mess on the inside. I mean, look at our social media. Our Social media is all about making sure we look good on the outside, right? Some of us are a little bit comfortable maybe putting a little bit of what's going on on the inside out there, but most it's like, I've got to portray this image. I've got it all together, And so this is how we express part of the hypocrisy in our life. And so as Christians, we can act like we love God, sound like we love God. Uh, We can teach others how to know God, but there's a disconnect from what we appear to be like and who we really are. And what happens is when God looks inside, what he can see in the life of a follower of Christ who's living in hypocrisy is that we can look and sound like a super Christian, but on the inside, we can be full of the same self-inflated, self-sufficient, pride-driven, judgmental, graceless yuck that the Pharisees had in their cup. We can look clean on the outside, but be filthy on the inside. And so we know that this is important to God. And so to make sure he's getting his point across, Jesus says, I'm going to give you six examples, six examples of how your hypocrisy plays out in life. And he calls these woes. Whenever you see woe in the Bible, like woe is this, woe is that, woe is me, woe are you. Woe is an expression of grief with a tone of warning. It's like, oh man, you're in bad shape. Shape and, and you really need to pay attention. So he, he has these six woes that we're about to see to really elaborate on the filth that he's seen on the inside and the hypocrisy. And so here's what we see, example number one. Example number one is selective obedience. Selective obedience. Verse 42 says, But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. See, the Pharisees were being selective in their obedience. So Jesus points out, like, you know about tithing, that everything you have is from God. And what God's commanded in Scripture is that you just give 10% back to Him as a thank you, as an act of dependence, and as an act of obedience. And so they took 10% of their produce, their animals, whatever. And in this case, they were so hyper diligent that they took 10% of the very spices that they would grow or use for cooking. And they would they would you know give the 10% of their spices to the Lord. And he's saying, you're doing something so meticulous, yet you're neglecting a lot bigger issues. You're neglecting your love for me, and you're neglecting justice. So really, you hear the echo, of, you're not loving me and you're not loving others. You're not loving me and you're not loving your neighbor. And so good job tithing, but really it's an empty act because you're neglecting things that are weightier, that matter more in the sight of God. Now God didn't... Um, He's saying do both, but you're neglecting one because you're being selective in your obedience. And we do the same thing in our hypocrisy when we choose to be selective in obeying God's word. And as we read the Bible, as we get a good glimpse of how God wants us to live, what happens is we look at some of what God commands us and we go, oh, that's easy for me, or I enjoy that, or it's a little bit of a challenge, but I enjoy trying to exercise that in my life. Forgiving others, um, being merciful, uh, you know, reading god's word praying we're going we like these things but then there are other moments when we're more selective in our obedience for example jesus tells us to love others as christ has loved us god tells us to uh, let our speech be full of grace when we speak to others and we go like oh I'm, i'm down with that until maybe someone has a different view on wearing a mask than you do or maybe until someone votes different than you do. Now, all of a sudden, we're selective in our obedience. Well, now I'm I'm going to speak this way to those people, or I'm not not going to be loving and harsh. I mean, these are, you know, just kind of recent examples that a lot of us have been experiencing. Or sometimes when, when we look at God's Word, and God says, a man shall leave his mother and father and be united to his wife. And we say, that's God's plan for a man to meet a woman and be married, and, and that's the plan. And we go, I'm down with that, until we meet someone we really like. But then they're not, they're not ready to get married. So we go like, well, let's just blend our lives together. Let's, let's move in together, and we'll have all the benefits of marriage without the commitment and the covenant. That, that's selective obedience, and we do it every day on some level, right? Maybe little things, maybe big things. Selective obedience is hypocrisy. And that hypocrisy hinders people from coming to Christ. That's the first example. The second example, the second woe, is a hungry ego. Look what Jesus says in verse 43. He says, "'Woe to you, Pharisees, "'for you love the best seat in the synagogues "'and greetings in the marketplace.'" He, he pokes at uh, their their desire to look and feel important and, and to get credit and to be valued. He says, you like the best seat in church, the synagogue, right, where they, the church. He says, you like the best seat in church. Uh, you like to be, uh, you know, respected and given special um, greetings when you're in public places. And so uh, these, these are evidence that these guys had a high-maintenance ego, they needed to be patted on the back all the time. And so being overlooked would be a blow to their self-image and to their self-worth. And so they love public importance. This was so contrary to the humility that God wants to flow out of our hearts. And honestly, it's, it's missing out on the security you can have knowing that you're a child of God and you don't need other people to validate your existence, right? Because you know how God feels about you. And so he's seen all this. Now, we would never fall into that same pit right we would never fall into the same pit of wanting to be important and have public approval right well how do you feel when you don't have as many likes as you wanted on your post or do you feel less important when the boss goes with your co-workers idea than yours or are you willing to take a less visible role so that someone else can be honored Uh, Does your sense of worth rise and fall based on the approval and acknowledgement of other people? See, this is what it means to have that kind of hungry ego. Uh, The fourth century theologian, Augustine, really nailed it when he said this. He says, it's not being seen of men that's wrong, but doing things for the purpose of being seen of men. The problem with the hypocrite is his motivation. He does not want to be holy. He only wants to seem to be holy. He's more concerned with his reputation for righteousness than about actually becoming righteous. And so are egos. And our flesh work against uh, the humility and the security that God has for us if we just trust him and, and, and walk this out. But a hungry ego will lead us down a road of hypocrisy, and hypocrisy will keep people and hinder people from coming to Christ. Example number three that Jesus gives, concealed corruption. Ooh, that sounds like, you know, super spicy, right? Concealed corruption. Look at verse 44. Jesus says to the Pharisees, Woe to you! For you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. What's that about? Okay, that's kind of weird, creepy, graves, what's going on? So in the Jewish custom and culture, even to this day, and for ancient times, uh, you'll find this in the book of Numbers, chapter 19 in the Bible. THAT IF YOU TOUCH A DEAD BODY OR IF YOU EVEN WALK OVER A GRAVE WHERE A DEAD PERSON IS BURIED, YOU BECOME DEFILED, YOU BECOME CORRUPTED, OKAY, FOR SEVEN DAYS. AND THEN YOU NEED TO GO THROUGH a, a, A RITUAL CLEANSING TO BE MADE PURE AND CLEAN AGAIN. And so uh, for Jewish culture and custom, they made sure that graves were marked, whether a person died in the wilderness and they they put a a big giant pile of rocks over it, or whether you see a cemetery with lots of, you know, whitewashed tombs and, 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 and rocks, they wanted to make sure that graves were marked so no one accidentally walked over one and became corrupted, became defiled. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? This is very, very offensive. He's going, you're like an unmarked grave. People encounter you, and instead of helping them, you're actually hurting them. Instead of them walking away being uplifted, they're actually walking off worse shape than when they encountered you. Why? Because of your hypocrisy. This, this is really pointed language. Talk about no filter. And so he's saying that they're unmarked graves. And that even though their hypocrisy wasn't always obvious and that their sins weren't always obvious, that they were unmarked, they were still going to have a negative effect on the people who encountered them and maybe sat under their teaching or tried to imitate their way. And, and they got sent off on a different path because of encountering these Pharisees, because of their hypocrisy. And when we're living dual lives where the outside and the inside don't match, and when we've got concealed sins, and and we're saying, I believe in God, I love God, and and, I'm on hand, but we're living a life that looks contrary to it, whether it's seen or not seen, if it's concealed, it's eventually not going to only hurt yourself, it's going to hurt others in your life. It's going to come out, and it's going to do harm. And so you see this concealed corruption that lies with hypocrisy, and that concealed corruption will hinder people from coming to Christ. Now, we see an interesting moment develop now in the text, right here at verse 45. So Jesus at this point is talking to a group of people in this Pharisee's home, and you and you've got a lot of these Pharisees present, but there's another group of people called the lawyers. Now, do not think defense lawyer or prosecuting attorney. Uh, lawyers in the Jewish religious system are experts in the Jewish law, in the Jewish rituals and religious customs. And so now there's lawyers present, and these lawyers lawyers are in the room listening to all this going on and they're starting to go wait a minute i I think he's kind of lumping me in like you ever have someone talk about you but they're not looking at you you know that feeling i think these guys are going time out here i think i think he's poking at us as well and so look at verse 45 one of the lawyers in the room answered him teacher in saying these things you insult us also and it's funny because jesus is like oh you want to come at me Welcome to the party. I'm going to bring you right in. And so look at verse 46. And then he said, Woe to you lawyers. That's funny. When you look at this text as a whole, there's three woes, these three warnings and grievous comments that are for the Pharisees and their hypocrisy. And now there's another three for the lawyers. They're going to get theirs now too from from Jesus. And so verse 46, he says, Woe to you lawyers, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. And so example number four, aimed at the lawyers now, is unjust expectations. Unjust expectations. See, the lawyers as experts in the law, when they would study the Bible, when they would study scriptures, their job was to understand it, interpret it, and then give application to the people. And what they did is instead of using this information to help people get close to God... They started heaping on all these rules that people have to keep. And so in their interpretation, they made hundreds of laws that people had to fall in order to be acceptable to God, get close to God. And so they started really setting up all these hurdles, if you will, these spiritual hurdles. And Jesus is calling them out. Oh, lawyer, you want to talk? Let's talk about you. You heap all these burdens. You make all these rules for people, but you don't even lift your finger to either help them accomplish the rules, nor do you actually live by them your own life. Like, for example, um, the way they did this, One small example is the Sabbath. See, God created the world in six days, made a special day of rest. The seventh day is the day that we're not supposed to work. He says, you know, the Sabbath is a time for rest and refreshment and to enjoy the day and to enjoy God and to reflect on God's goodness. Let's have the Sabbath. And so the, the, the lawyers would look at the Sabbath and go, well, we're not supposed to work. What exactly is work? So they started creating all these rules, like how far you can walk on the Sabbath day before you're technically working, how much you can actually carry before you violate the Sabbath and, and you're actually working, what kind of knots you can actually tie in a rope or not. And so they were just heaping all these crazy burdens, right? And then, of course, they didn't either bother Fulfilling them themselves, or they didn't do anything to help people accomplish the rules. They just use it as a as a spiritual taskmaster to keep people in line. And Jesus is saying this is hypocrisy. Now we see this today still, when some religions, some churches, some religious individuals um, experience. And you probably have experienced this. They create a list of do's and don'ts in order to be loved by God, in order to be uh, come close to God, in order to be accepted by God. They say, you have to make sure that the, the list of do's and don'ts on the outside, that you're accomplishing those so that you can get God on the inside. But we know that's not biblical. God says, no, let me in on the inside and then I'll work, I'll work in you and it'll eventually come out. That's the way God works. And so when you've encountered someone going like, well, you can't look like that, dress like that, talk like that, do these things um, in, in order for God to love you, in order to get into a relationship with God, they're doing the same thing. These are unjust expectations, and they're, they're laying all these burdens on you. And we know very well not everybody can keep up with those burdens, and so they become unjust expectations. Now, it's true that when Christ is in our life, we're transformed, and the way we talk and think and act change. But we don't change because we're, we have to and we're supposed to. We change because we want to, and we're, we're drawn to do it because God's Spirit's transforming us. So Jesus is trying to break through this understanding. So he says these unjust expectations, it's hypocrisy, and that hypocrisy hinders people from coming to Christ. Example number five, misplaced honor. This one's going to sound a little confusing at first. I'm just going to warn you, okay? But it's going to make sense here in a minute. Look what he says as he goes on in verse 47. He says, Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore, also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. From the blood of Abel, the very first murder we see in the Bible, to the blood of Zechariah, the last prophet killed in the Old Testament and the Jewish scriptures, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary, yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. It's a little confusing, but what Jesus is pointing out to these leaders is that they build these ornate tombs to honor God's messengers and prophets of old. Uh, Here's an example of one. You'll find this one in the Kidron Valley there in Israel. It's the, the tomb of Zechariah. It's been there since the first century. It's built there to honor the prophet Zechariah. It's huge. It's massive. It's built into a mountain. And so Jesus is saying, okay, time out here. God sends you messengers. He sends you prophets with a message. He sent them to your dad, your grandfathers, your great grandfathers to to help them understand how to walk with God. They heard the message, they didn't like it, so they killed the prophets. And then what you do is you build a tomb to honor the prophets. But yet, your dad's killed those prophets. So there's a contradiction. There's a hypocrisy. There's a disconnect here because you're trying to honor the messenger, but you want nothing to do with the message. And so it's funny because once these guys are dead, you're building something to honor them, but you mistreated them when they were alive. And so there's this disconnect that Jesus is going after, saying this is a contradiction. And so Jesus is getting... To the point to see, hey, look, you are actually a lot like your forefathers. You're not receiving me and the message from God that I'm bringing. You're more interested in in condemning me and condemning the voice of God than actually obeying it. And so really, uh, you're just heaping on more guilt to the blood that's on the hands of your forefathers because you're just like them more than the prophets you say you admire. And so what you see here is you have this misplaced honor. And they're saying they honor the prophets, but they don't. Here's how that plays out in our life. In our moments of hypocrisy, we will do the same thing when we encounter someone who is opening up the Scriptures and in love and maybe encouragement, education, instruction, or correction, will say, this is what God says on the matter going on in your life. And maybe at first you're like, yeah, I believe that. And, and, and you, give, you start to say you give honor and appreciation to the person pointing this out. But the second you encounter someone else who has an opinion that aligns more with your emotions, or more with your personal opinion, whether they are tied to Scripture or not, you go, yeah, yeah, it's kind of like that. And all of a sudden, you align yourself with the person who's actually going against God rather than aligning yourself with the person who's going with God. It's the same thing that these guys were doing. And, And we do the same thing. I'm telling you, as a pastor, I'm stunned when I hear stories repeatedly and often, sadly, of how people are making major life decisions on issues that God has spoken clearly on. Things related to sexual identity, sexual purity, marriage, divorce, relationships, justice, slander, substances, purity. And and at one time the people said, I really believe God wants this, and and they align themselves with that. But then when a voice of a friend or someone else kicks in, they flip-flop and they start to honor the person who aligns with their opinion, rather than honoring God and the person who's trying to keep them close to God and in God's will. This is what we do when we have misplaced honor, and it's a hypocrisy. And hypocrisy will hinder people from coming to Christ. And the last example we see here, example six, is inaccurate teaching. Look at verse 52. Woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. I'd like for you to get the image of, and maybe this has happened to you, where you have a key, and you're trying to get in a door, and it's not getting you in the door. (laughs) Wrong key, wrong lock, something, right? Keys upside down, you can't get in. And because you can't get in, anyone who's with you can't get in either. Jesus is saying, you um, have taken away the key of knowledge. The key of knowledge that the lawyers possessed was the responsibility and the opportunity to teach and interpret God's Word accurately to others so that they can come into a right relationship with God. But because they were misinterpreting, The information and God's Word, they not only prevented themselves from entering into a right right relationship with God, now they were blockading everyone else from also entering in who was listening to their teaching. And so these lawyers were experts in God's law. They were gatekeepers of such wonderful knowledge. But instead of using God's Word to teach people how to know God— they actually used it to keep people from knowing God. And the results, and people had a barrier now, a hindrance to getting to understand God accurately. And that's probably happened for you in your life. It's happened for me in my life. And people say, oh, this is what God says. And then later on, you read the Bible and go, that, that's actually not what God says. And so you're being hindered. And so God's word is fairly clear. You know, the message of God's fierce love for us, his desire to spend eternity with us, his desire for you to root your identity and the one who made you and all the power and joy and peace and purpose that comes along when you know that you belong to God and that your sins are forgiven in Christ. Like all of that's so clear and it resonates with our spirit when we hear it. But then someone else or ourselves misinterprets God's word and takes us off that path. And then what happens is we find ourselves living in hypocrisy where we're just trying to polish the outside of the cup, but we're not dealing with what's truly on the inside. And so whenever we find ourselves inaccurately teaching, and inaccurately interpreting the Bible, especially on matters of God's grace, Jesus, eternity, sin, uh, we're in danger of not only not entering into that relationship with God accurately but we can actually prevent others from doing so as well and that's going to hinder people from coming to Christ. So this is this is a very intense moment. Now here's what should happen. In this moment as the Pharisees and lawyers are hearing this and Jesus is exposing their hypocrisy, something should trigger a conviction and be like, "We're on the wrong side of things." Jesus, thank you for showing that to us. What can we do to fix it? They should fall under conviction and repentance and change it. Is that what they do? No. Look at verse 53 and 54. As he went away from there, so he's leaving this house now, the scribes and Pharisees, obviously who are following him, begin to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things. They're trying to get him to say more things that they could disagree with. Lying in wait for him to catch him and something he might say they became even more critical and more adversarial toward Jesus. Look, there is no way that me and you can sit here and look at these words of Jesus and not feel exposed about an area of hypocrisy in our life. But being aware of hypocrisy and falling under conviction and desiring to repent of hypocrisy are two different things. And when we come under conviction and repentance, we say, what do we need to do to change this? And we follow the, you know, Jesus' lead to be made right. Or we let our pride and our stubbornness kick in, our love for self, our love for sin, and we become more adversarial and more critical toward Jesus and others who are trying to faithfully follow Jesus. And that's what we see take place here. And so... The big idea today, if you haven't caught it, is this. Hypocrisy hinders people from coming to Christ. And here's the reality. We cannot cure ourselves of our hypocrisy. Uh, the best we can do is polish the outside of the cup. <laughs> Only Jesus can deal with what's on the inside. We have no ability to cleanse the inside of our own cup. We have no ability to change our own hearts. Only God can change our heart through the power of Christ and through the work of the Holy Spirit. And so it's so important that as you hear this, you don't walk out of here thinking like, okay, I've, I've got to try harder somehow. It's like, no, you have to surrender to Christ who will do the work for you. In 1 John 1, 7-9, God speaks to the Apostle John. He says, if we walk in the light, as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth's not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive. forgive us our sins, and to, what's the word? Cleanse. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so I hope all of you have come to that place where uh, you've acknowledged that you can't fix your own brokenness, your own filth in the cup What's on your heart. Only Jesus can do that. And we're going to wrestle with hypocrisy because we're in the human condition. But the closer we get to Christ and the more we surrender to His work, the less hypocrisy there will be in our life. And the less hypocrisy in our life, the more effective we're going to be at experiencing this amazing relationship with Jesus and helping others come to Christ. I want to go back to the three statements I shared at the beginning of our time. I want to go back to those three statements that I asked you to find which was most true of you today. The first one was this. I've been hurt by the hypocrisy of someone else. The second, I've hurt someone else with my hypocrisy. Or third, I've been hurting myself and my relationship with God because of my hypocrisy. I don't know which one you're finding most true of you today, but I just want to spend a moment with you to do business with God in each one of those. And so today, if it's mostly true that you've been hurt by the hypocrisy of someone else, and you've allowed that to hinder you from coming to Christ, I just want to challenge you, don't allow that to be a barrier anymore. Look beyond that person and their flaws. Look beyond their issues and their poor representation of God. And so they're accountable and responsible to God for their actions and their attitude. That's not on you. But you're responsible accountable for your actions and attitude toward God. And he's not going to allow finger pointing. Like, why didn't you get serious about me? Well, this person, look, I'll deal with them, but you've got to deal with me on your own. And so don't let those people be a block for you anymore. If you know you need Christ and, you, and you've been hiding behind that blockade of hypocrisy, let it come down today. In fact, can we pray about that for a minute? Would you, would you pray with me if that's you? Let's just pray. Say, Lord, I've allowed the hypocrisy of someone else to hinder my relationship with you or coming to you. But I'm done with that today. God, I know that you love me. You want me. You died on the cross for me. You rose from the grave for me and have invited me into relationship. And so today I believe in Jesus. I'm not going to let hypocrisy keep me from this amazing relationship anymore. In Jesus' name. Maybe it's mostly true that you've hurt someone else with your hypocrisy. I'm going to encourage you to do a twofold action step with this one confess it to God he knows (laughs) he's just waiting for you to admit it and you can just say God this is what I did this is what I said I, I really feel confident or I know I hurt these people God would you forgive me for misrepresenting you would you forgive me my hypocrisy and do business with God but the second part which is more difficult but also reveals whether you truly mean this is you've got to go to those people if you're still able and you've got to ask for their forgiveness You've got to confess to them. Look, this is what I did. This is what I said. It was a bad representation of Jesus. It is not a great demonstration of who Jesus is. And I wronged you. Will you forgive me? They might not forgive you. That's not the point. The point is to be humble, to be courageous, and to be obedient. And do it anyways. That's you today. Can we take a minute and just do business with God together as well on that? Let's just pray. Father, I just pray right now with my brothers and sisters in Christ who have hurt other people with their words, their actions, or their lack of words or lack of actions that have communicated hypocrisy, that have done harm to someone, especially someone who doesn't know Jesus yet. God, would you give them the humility and the repentance to do business with you? And would you give them the humility and the courage to seek to make repair with those they've hurt? In Jesus' name. Maybe today it's most true that you've hurt yourself and your relationship with God, with your hypocrisy. You've allowed your stubbornness, your pride, your love for sin to keep you from this amazing relationship with God, this new life that Christ has for you. At some point, you're going to get sick of it because it's going to take you down roads you don't want to go down. Maybe today you're done. You're like, I'm not going to let my hypocrisy keep me anymore from what God has for me. Can we we spend a moment praying about that together too, Lord? Thank you for those today who have the humility to acknowledge that their hypocrisy is hurting themselves and their relationship with you. God, bring them to a place of true repentance, true remorse, true surrender to experience who you truly are, all that you have for them. In Jesus' name. Just a couple ways that we want to help you with whatever response you chose today. If if you prayed to receive Christ today or you're trying to give your life to Christ or you want to know more about how to give your life to Christ, would you get out your phones if you're home right now, you get out your phones even if you're in this room, and would you text the word Jesus to 440-276-5575 got a real life person that will take that text and then help guide you through some next steps of how you can grow in this new relationship with Jesus Christ maybe something we talked about today has triggered a need where you need to connect with the pastor, get some guidance or you know, you got some questions uh, you can type the word connect right now and send it to that same number text it to 440-276-5575 say I just need to connect with someone that can help me out with something I'm processing and we'd love to serve you in that way And so it's kind of tough teaching, but let's not make the mistake that these guys made and think, oh, it's all about the outside. No, let's let's let God do the work on the inside. Amen? Let's stand and let's worship the Lord as we prepare to close service.